Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. All right, thank you guys. That's awesome. Hey, I got to get my Bible because we're going to be in the Bibles here in just a minute. But first, we've got a very exciting thing to do. You can give me a house lights, uh, Bill, if you want to give me a house lights. Because for the very first time ever... Here in our history, we are going to be releasing the children's to our brand new children's ministry. So if you are in K through 4, we invite you to go right out there and follow them. K through 4. How about a hand for our kids? Come on, man. Let's give it up for the kids. K through 4. Yeah. That is good stuff. All right. Hey, yeah. Can you flip that over? That's great. K through 4. I know some, some of the bigger kids trying to sneak out. No, can't do it. Got to be K through 4. That's where it is. All right. Awesome. Well, man, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about uh, kids, man. We love kids. We know how important it is to get them in to, to God's Word. And so they're going to be having a good time down there as we have a good time up here. So we are starting a brand new series. And I prayed a lot about, like, Lord, this is the, the launch of the church. It's your idea. This whole thing is your idea. This whole gig is your idea. So what is it that you want me, you know, and us to study uh, as we launch into this brand new endeavor of the Vintage Church at Buffalo? And so I'm excited to be able to share this because... We're doing a series called According to Jesus. I'm calling it that because Jesus is going to share with us the number one thing that we need to know as human beings on this planet. He is the authorized version of what we're going to talk about tonight. And so, as always, it is our uh, practice and our habit here uh, because we know that there is no way, absolutely no way, that we're going to be able to receive what God has for us because these things are spiritually discerned unless He helps us unless he opens our hearts to do so. And so we're going to have a word of prayer right now. I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God to speak to you. I don't know who you are in terms of where you're at in your own spiritual walk, but God does. And he has designed our lives to bring us together to this point right here. It's going to be brief, but it can be powerful because God loves you and he has a plan for you and the enemy hates you. And so God wants to tell you the truth so that you can choose to follow his ways. So let's ask God to speak to us together. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and just close your eyes right there and just ask God to speak to you. Just silently just say, God, you got my attention. Please speak to me. I want to hear from you tonight. God, we bow again in your presence. So excited to be here. So grateful. Lord, thank you that you've given us your word, uh, your scriptures that and show us the way of life. Jesus, you hold the way of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, God, I pray that by your Spirit you would speak to us. I pray against the enemy and his uh, distractions and his attempts to discourage. And, God, I ask that you would take center stage in all of this and that, God, we would be open to what you want to say. Give us ears to hear, hearts to respond. In your name we pray these things, Christ. Amen. All right, so grab your Bibles. Open up to the book of Exodus. Uh, it's the second book from the very front. Once you get past the table of contents, it's Genesis, Exodus chapter 20, where we're going to be here in just a moment. All right, Exodus chapter 20. And just to let you all know um, that uh, because I was supposed to announce this before we started right now, so I'm going to announce it right now, <laughs> that uh, if you uh, desire uh, to give, because now we are officially a church, um, there's a box in the back, which is the, our regular box, but we also have 
um, offering envelopes because we're super official now. So you can fill those out if you want uh, those. And uh, you can also give online as well. We have online giving available at bcb.church. Uh, so you can do that. And please make all the checks out to uh, Vintage Church of Buffalo. Okay, so that's, that was uh, what I was supposed to announce from our finance people. So done. Accomplished. All right. So, here we go. We're into a brand new series called According to Jesus. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 in just a moment. But how many of you, okay, this, this, we're just going to date ourselves a little bit, okay? How many of you uh, have ever seen David Letterman when he did his top 10 lists? Anybody? All right. Yeah, you're my people. All right. Very good. Yeah, he, he got really big with this. He's the one who popularized this on The Late Show. Uh, it was really funny. He wrote even two books. They compiled two books. on it. It's really, really good. I like top 10 lists. I think they're funny. I think they're amusing. Uh, and I came across one a while back that was on a shirt of a father, okay, a dad. You know, he was wearing this shirt. And here it was, the top 10 rules for dating my daughter, okay? And I'm just going to read them to you real quick. Top 10 rules for dating my daughter. Um, get a job. Job. Two, understand I don't like you. Three, I'm everywhere. Four, if you hurt her, I will hurt you. Five, be home 30 minutes uh, early. Six, get a lawyer. Seven, if you lie to me, I will find you. Uh, eight, she's my princess, not your conquest. Uh, nine, whatever you do to her, I will do to you. And ten, I don't mind going back to jail. So, I thought those was pretty funny, and I can kind of relate to that because I have a daughter, and so I'm like, yeah, I get that, I get that. I see Tom in the back give me a hearty amen with the cowboy hat, and yeah, buddy, come on, brother, we're on it. Yes, that's true. Well, here's, here's my point in all that. Top 10 lists are, are fun, uh, but man, there is a top 10 list in the Bible that God gives us here in Exodus chapter 20, as we know them as the, the Ten Commandments. Starting in verse 1, please follow along. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Here's command number 1. You shall have no other gods before me. Command number 2. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth uh, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now think of all the things that God could have put for his top two commandments, of all the things he could have said, these are what he chose. Pretty important. Number one and two, right out of the gate. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. God is saying, listen, you need to understand that I am singular. In your worship, in your service, I am number one. I am it. In fact, there's not me and a bunch of others, second, third, fourth places. I'm it. I'm the only one on the table. I'm the only one in the room. There's only seat for one on the throne of our hearts, on the throne of our lives. Some of us want to put a, a love seat there or a couch and put a lot of people on there. Nope, only room for one. And God says, I am to be it. I alone give meaning and purpose to your life. And the second one, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The second one, is like it, but it's, it's this. It says, not only am I number one, you are not to go out and try to find something that you can attach ultimate meaning to. You are not to find something that you say, this is my salvation, this is my form of satisfaction in my life. In a word, that's idolatry. God says, you're not supposed to have any of those. I don't want you to have any of those. An idol is something that we place in place of God. All right. In fact, the best definition I ever heard of an idol is this. We think it's God, but it's not. We think it's God, 
but it's not. All right? It's not God. We think it's God, but it's not. Or to put it in the reverse, it's not God, but we think it is. We live like it is. We act like it is. We make choices like it is. And God says, that is not supposed to be anywhere in your life because it will dishonor me, but it will disorder and destroy you. Rewind back to the very first uh, book of the Bible, Genesis. And we've talked about this before, but this is what happened in Genesis, right? The enemy, Satan, in the form of a serpent, came to Eve. And what did he do? First words out of his mouth, first recorded words uh, that Satan spoke were, did God really say? And his whole focus, his whole point, his whole aim was trying to get Eve to believe something wrong about God. That God wasn't good, that he was trying to rip her off, that he was trying to keep something good for her, that you can't trust God. In other words, Satan was trying to get Eve to buy into a wrong view of God, which in its essence is an idol. It's not God, but Eve thought it was. And what was the result? She sinned. Brokenness shattered everything. And that's going to happen because when we, we get a wrong view of God, we'll end up making wrong choices. We live out of what we believe. believe. Belief carries actions. Actions carry consequences. Beliefs matter. They are no small matter. They do matter. And if we choose to believe wrong about God, we will end up making wrong choices because... Our view of God determines uh, our relationship with God. How we see God will determine how we are and how we live with God. And so if Satan can get you to believe wrong about God, can get me to believe wrong about God, that is an idol and it will destroy our lives. And it's exactly what God says, don't do. Now, there's a lot of different views about God out there that are wrong. Uh, and here are some general categories. And just do a, a self-check. See if you have fallen unwittingly into believing some of these things. Well, the first one would be, uh, let's go with the grumpy old man. If you think God is a grumpy old man or a grumpy God, then uh, how that shows up in your life is that uh, you'll do everything you can to stay on his good side or just stay out of his way. You won't go to him for encouragement or for guidance or for anything like that. Why? Because you never know when his anger might just flare up. It's capricious. It is random. And he is rarely kind. And that is how you view him. Or maybe you think God is like a distant father. That's the opposite end of the spectrum. You want to connect with this God. But he doesn't seem to be there. He doesn't seem to really care. You can't really get a hold of him. And so you think, if I just do enough good stuff, if I just do enough good religious stuff, if I just do enough good things, then... You know, God will want to connect with me. He'll see me. He'll affirm me. And so you run down this road of trying to do all this good stuff. And what you'll hear whispered in your ear is, wow, that was good, but not quite good enough. Just a little bit more. And you jump back on the treadmill to try to connect with a God that you'll never be able to connect with. Or maybe uh, it's uh, an angry policeman. You know, if you believe that God is just an angry policeman ready to nail you when you step out of line, then your relationship uh, with God, if you can't even call it that, is going to be 100% fear-based, and it's going to be all about rules, all about towing the line, man. You've got to keep it between the stripes. You've got to tow the line because, you know, the moment you step out, God's correction is going to be swift and severe because that's all there is. And if you believe that, you'll become a person that is like that. All about rules. All about, I got to stay in here and you got to stay in here too or there's big trouble. 
Or fourth, maybe you believe God is like a jolly Santa Claus. You know, like, uh, hey, his job, his main job is to get you what you want. All right. There's no relationship involved because that's not his job. That's not what he was there for. He is there solely to give you what you want, just like a department store Santa Claus. You ask, he gives. That's how it works. And if he doesn't, man, if he doesn't give you what you ask for, you know, be it uh, comfort or be it favor or be it a promise or be it whatever, if he doesn't give that to you, then you get angry with him. You get mad at him. You threaten him with your unbelief. Go ask, get. That's the whole of it, and that is the emptiness of it. Now, here's the thing. The singular thread that weaves through all of those that they all have in common, they're all wrong views of God, which means they are all idols. They're all idols. And if you buy into a wrong view of God, you will live in a wrong way, in destruction, in your life, and you'll end up blaming God for it. It's not his fault, but you end up blaming him because you believe wrong about him. And the destruction is inevitable and it's predictable. Here's the good news. God knew all that. He knows that. He designed us. He understands all that. And so he has launched an aggressive, strategic plan to help us understand who God is. Because he knows how important it is that we understand him rightly. And, and he wants us to know him. Not just know about him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And he wants us to have a right view of God. And so he launched this mission and ultimately it uh, consummates in the coming and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate authority on who God is. I've written some scriptures up here. Just let me read them for you. John 1, 14, 18 uh, says this. The Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John 14, 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Speaking to one of his disciples. Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Colossians 1, 15 and 19 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Hebrews 1, 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That's what these scriptures are speaking. If you want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What you see in Jesus is what you're going to see in God. Jesus is the explanation and the definition of who God is. That's why when you look in uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus forgiving, and you see Him caring, and you see Him loving, and you see Him healing, and you see Him just blowing up hypocrites, and you see Him reaching out to those who are humble and poor in spirit and in need, that is who God is. That is how God acts. And that is how God feels about things. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That is what the scripture tells us. And that is what's so exciting. When you read in the Bible, you can know who God is because God wants himself to be known. One of the awful, evil, wicked things that happened when uh, 
Eve sinned and Adam sinned, you know, by eating the fruit and sin came in, brokenness shattered uh, our lives and our existence and their lives. But one of the really horrible things that happened was this, that when that took place, guess what? They immediately began thinking wrong about God. Immediately they began thinking wrong about God. If you remember the story, when they ate the fruit, their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked. They covered themselves with leaves. And when God came to see them, what did they do? They ran away and hid. They ran and hid. Why? Because they believed wrong about God. They believed that God was their enemy. They believed that God was against them. What a colossal lie. But that is what they believed. Listen, sin never changed God. Changed us. Changes us. Sin changes us. Doesn't change God. Changes us. Changes how we see Him, how we see things, our perspective, everything. So God wants us to know what is true about Him because He wants us to know Him because He loves us. That is why He sent Christ to make it possible for us to be in a relationship with God and to know Him. This is eternal life. Jesus uh, prayed in John 17. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's John 17, 3. So God wants us to know him. And he has made it possible for us to know him through Jesus. So if you want to know who God is, just take a look at Jesus. Because Jesus is a reflection of who God the Father is. I want to wrap things up by reading uh, a story, a true story, that really on a human level helps illustrate this point. It says this. The small house was simple but adequate and consisted of one large room on a dusty street. Its red tiled roof was one of many in this poor neighborhood on the outskirts of the Brazilian village. It was a comfortable home. Maria and her daughter, Christina, had done what they could to add color to the gray walls and warmth to the hard dirt floor. An old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. The furnishings were modest, a pallet on either side of the room for them to sleep, a wash basin, and a wood-burning stove. Maria's husband had died when Christina was an infant. The young mother, stubbornly refusing opportunities to remarry, got a job and set out to raise her young daughter. And now, 15 years later, the worst years were over. Though Maria's salary as a maid afforded few luxuries, it was reliable and it did provide food and clothes. And now Christina was old enough to get a job to help out. Some said Christina got her independence from her mother. She recoiled at the traditional idea of marrying young and raising a family. Not that she couldn't have had her pick of husbands. Her olive skin and brown eyes kept a steady stream of prospects at her door. She had an infectious way of throwing her head back and filling the room with laughter. She also had that rare magic some women have that makes every man feel like a king just by being near them. But it was her spirited curiosity that made her keep all the men at arm's length. She spoke often of going to the city. She dreamed of trading her dusty neighborhood for exciting avenues in city life. Just the thought of this horrified her mother. Maria was always quick to remind Christina of the harshness of the streets. People don't know you there. Jobs are scarce and the life, it's cruel. Believe me. And besides, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Well, Maria knew exactly what Christina would do or would have to do for a living. That's why her heart broke when she awoke one morning to find her daughter's bed empty. Maria knew immediately where her daughter had gone. She also knew immediately what she must do to find her. She quickly threw some clothes in a bag, gathered up all her money, and ran out of the house. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on pictures of herself. 
With her purse full of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Cristina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human will do things that were before unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all. And at each place she left her picture, taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't too long before both the money and the pictures ran out. And Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again and froze. There on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned with tears. Her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. As she turned the picture over, she began to weep. Written on the back were these words. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. And so she did. Here's the point. God has left a picture of himself in this world, and it's Jesus. And Jesus is saying the exact same thing to you and to me. Amen. Does it matter who you are? Does it matter where you've been? Does it matter what you've become? Two words. Come home. Amen. Come home. And whether this is the first time you're hearing it or the millionth time you're hearing it, it still carries the same amount of weight and purpose and passion and love and grace. Why? Because God doesn't change. He is consistent. That means every single time He says that to you and to me, it means the same. It carries the same force and the same invitation. Come home. Every one of us, someplace in our life, we need to hear that. We need to hear that. We need to be reminded that this is God's heart for us through Jesus. And so I don't know where you are tonight, and I do not know what false view of, of God you might be laboring under. God's words for you tonight are this. Come home. Come home. That is His heart. That is His passion. That is his purpose for you. And that is why he says, I don't want you to have any other gods before me. Why? Because every command of God's is also an invitation of God's to come and experience him and to come and experience life his way. Listen, the only way you're going to experience all that God has for you and all the love that he wants to flood and smother your life with and all the grace that He wants to pour over you, the only way you're going to experience that, the only way I will ever experience that, is if our hearts are sold out to Him, if we are wholehearted before Him. That's the only way. Half-hearted measures will never work. They won't work. That's why God says, you're to have no other gods but me. I'm it. And I say to you, come home.
That's the heart that God has for you tonight. What you do with that is up to you. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Thank you guys so much for your kind attention. You guys are awesome. But if you prayed and you asked God to speak to you, I believe He did. I believe He did. So now the question is, what will you do with what He said to you? What will you do with what He said to you? Where in your life do you need to hear those words come home? I mean, what would your life be like if you truly believed that that was God's heart for you through Jesus Christ? Because it is. I don't know what God has spoken to you about. And I know what He's spoken to me about. So I want to give you just a moment, silently, the sanctuary of your own heart, just to respond to this God who made the heavens and the earth, who crafted the universe, who rules it all, and who looks at you in grace and me and says, come home. Take a moment and respond to him quietly in your heart. Finally, last question. If you're here and you've never, you've never responded to God's invitation to you through Jesus Christ, you don't know if you're going to make heaven. Or you're pretty sure you wouldn't. Here's the greatest news in the world. None of us deserve heaven. We're all sinners. We're all lost. But God sent His Son so that we could know Him. He sent His Son to save us. That's why He's called the Savior. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, so loved you, that He gave His only Son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to pay for our sins, because only a perfect being could pay for our sins. Only one who is holy God, holy man, could do that. Another sinner can't save another sinner. Drowning man can't save another drowning man. You need a rescuer. You need a Savior. And Jesus says, I, I am that for you. So he offers salvation. He offers a relationship with God, a home in heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, wide open invitation, believes in him, not believes about him, believes in him, surrenders to him, man. This is an all-in proposition. Jesus will change your life. This is all in. Whoever believes in him will not perish in a place of justice and judgment called hell, but will have eternal life, a home in heaven, a relationship with God. You turn over everything that you are to him and say, Jesus, I need you to come in, save me. I'm all yours. If that is you, if you want that, you want to know your sins are forgiven, you want to know you're going to heaven, then just tell Jesus. Just tell him that silently right now. Just tell him that. In fact, let me invite you to pray this prayer after me. Mean the words as your own. They're not magic. Just mean the words as your own. Just say this. Say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me, that you have life to give me. I want that. So right now, I turn from my sin. I repent. I don't want it. I don't want it. I want you. And I'm going to respond to your invitation to come home. Come into my life and save me. I'm all yours. I am all yours. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. But if you just prayed that and you meant it, with no one looking around but me, I want to, I want to remember you in a closing prayer. So I'm just going to ask you, if you prayed it and you meant it, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand so I can see it, so I can just remember you in a closing prayer. Not by name, but man, somebody prayed for me. I want to pray for you. If that's you, if you prayed it and you meant it, say, I just gave my life to Jesus. I'm serious. He spoke to me. I'm in. Here's my hand. Pray for me. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I don't want to miss anybody. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your invitation. And God, thank you that you have made it clear who you are in the person of your son, Jesus Christ. If we want to get to know you, we look at Jesus. I thank you for that. Father, I pray that this week we would remember that your invitation for us is real to come home. It is just laced with grace and with love and with commitment. So Lord, just remind us of that all week long. We'll thank you for it. In your name we pray these things, Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, if any of you have any questions about anything that I've said, uh, please grab me afterwards. I would love to have a conversation with you. If you're not sure what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, please let me tell you. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.